0: Good morning, City Light. Hey, glad you're here with us today. Man, I thought today I would just jump right in, okay? Um, I was going to start with a question this morning. Uh, Have you ever had to give a difficult final farewell? Like one of those times when uh, the person that you're talking to is somebody that you won't see again for a long, long time, if ever. And you have just moments to give your uh, last words before you part ways. Have you ever had to give a difficult final farewell? Well, I, I did once, um, back in 2014, I visited an orphanage in Kigali, Rwanda, and it was a terrible place. Uh, when I got there, uh, you just knew right away that it was, it was pretty disgusting. Um, there was one toilet in the whole place, and it was just a hole in the floor And then during the rainy season, the water would collect in that hole, and that toilet water would seep up through the dirt floor in the only room big enough for the kids to play in. It was just disgusting. And not only was it kind of disgusting, it was dangerous. The orphanage was built into the side hill of a mountain, and there used to be walls around the compound, but they were crumbling, And so in several places, there was literally nothing that stood between these little kids and a 30-foot fall uh, down a mountain. It was disgusting. It was dangerous. It's hard to use words to describe how awful it was. The kids lived on maybe a cup of rice and beans every day. So they were hungry, and they were dirty, and they were abused and yet, despite the terrible uh, circumstances, over 100 kids determined it's better to live there than on the streets. Almost just incomprehensible for, for us. Uh, but that's what they had decided. Thank goodness the Rwandan government did not agree that that was an okay place to live. On our last day in Kigali, we visited the kids and then we were hiking down the mountain. And when we got to the end of the path, we noticed there were several shiny black Mercedes at the bottom of the path, and there were several people outside those cars in nice suits, men and women dressed really nicely, looking up the hill at the orphanage. They were as out of place there as Doug would be in a beard oil commercial, okay? Just did not fit the scene at all, so we're wondering, why are they here? And they were wondering the same thing about us. As it turns out, they were responding to an email that they'd received from Kara Higgins, She's in our church. She led that trip. She still leads Imana kids. And she had emailed the government to tell them, man, the conditions at this orphanage are awful. Is there anything you can do to help? And so it just so happened that they came on the day we were leaving. And they showed up, they arrived just as we were uh, headed out. And so uh, it was a pretty amazing but chaotic experience. They had questions for us. They didn't expect us to be there. They got the email from months ago and we didn't tell them we were coming. And so they thought, what are you doing here? Uh, How do you know all these kids? Who are they? And we didn't expect them to be there. And we thought, what are you going to do after you shut this down? Where are all the kids going to go? And so we were uh, trying to exchange information. And then the guy who was leading the orphanage had done some pretty sketchy stuff. And he knew he was in trouble if they got a hold of him. So he just peaced out. He's left. And so the kids are seeing him leave, us leave. And these people in suits and shiny cars that didn't fit in the neighborhood show up. And they were nervous. And so some of them were hiding in their rooms in the orphanage. Others came down to talk to us and ask us questions about what was going on. And then uh, in all of that chaos, the engine of our bus started up. It was ready to leave, and it would take off with or without us. And so uh, I had to get on the bus. I took a seat next to a window. And as I did, a young man named Estras walked up and put his hand on mine, and with a trembling voice, he said, Eric, I'm scared. And I knew he wanted me to say something. And what do you say in that moment? I mean, my go-to line of advice is don't sweat the petty stuff and don't pet the sweaty stuff. And that just didn't fit the moment. Uh, I knew I couldn't say that. And so what do you say? I was trying to think about it. He's looking at me. There are tears in his eyes, which caused tears to start to well up in my eyes. And neither of us wanted to let them fall. He looked at me and knew I was leaving and something big was gonna happen. These people were here to shut down his home and he didn't know what the next hours or days would bring for him. And I knew, man, I have to leave. I have to go. I can't help him um, through these next hours or days. My bus is taking off. And so he's looking at me. I'm looking at him. The engine is going. The wheels are starting to turn. And I had to say something. What do you say? And so I said a quick little prayer. I just said the first thing that came to mind. I quoted 1 John 4, 4. I said, Esdras, man, I'll be praying for you. Remember, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I just want to encourage him. It's the big things that matter. I may be leaving, we may be leaving, but God's not leaving. Trust in him. He's still with you. And so right as I said that, his hand let go of mine because the bus was pulling away. He said, thank you. And it was the hardest goodbye I've ever had to give. Have you ever had to give a difficult final farewell? Well, this morning, we're going to look at the book of Acts, where our Apostle Paul, that we've been tracking with the last several weeks, he gives a difficult final farewell. And it marks a shift in the book of Acts for us. See, up to this point in Acts, the Apostle Paul has been a missionary, He's been going on journeys to new places to meet new people where they don't know Jesus yet. And his kind of MO was to go to new places, but on his way to new places, he would visit old places and he would connect with the people that he'd already talked to and encourage them. And so when his friends had uh, Paul stop by and then leave, they knew their goodbye was more of a see you later. But this time, it's different. It's a shift. This time, um, Paul is leaving for good. Listen to what he tells his friends, the leaders of the Ephesian church. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom Will see my face again. In short, he looks at his friends and says, Guys, I'm going to Jerusalem. I don't know exactly how it's all gonna go down. What I do know is they're gonna throw me in prison and you will never see me again. Cue a final farewell, right? The engine has started, the wheels are rolling. For them, the sails had risen and the passengers were boarding, right? These are the final moments. It's like a coach in the moments before the kickoff, or a dad in the moments before he walks his daughter down the aisle. In those moments, the minor things fade fast. In those moments, it's the major things, it's the important things that matter. And it's clear in Paul's language what mattered to him. And so let's look at Paul's words one more time. He said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. What mattered most to Paul in this final farewell? It was all the flock. It was the church. Paul cared about the church. Is that surprising to you? It's a little surprising to me. He could have said all kinds of things. He could have looked at his friends and called out greatness in each of them, telling them what their strengths were and thanking them for their partnership in his ministry. He didn't do that. He didn't rehash theological minutia that they needed to know as leaders of the church. He didn't commission new missionaries to go out and follow him up in what he'd been doing. He didn't instruct them on who should plant new churches and how. He didn't do any of that. He set all of that aside, and he said, care for the church. That word care, in the original language, it could also be translated shepherd, feed, tend to. He's saying, care for the church like a shepherd cares for his sheep. Love them, take care of them. Feed them, work for their growth and flourishing and reproduction. Care for the church like a shepherd loves his sheep. Paul said, we care for the church. So the question then is, why does, well, before we get to that question, can we just pause for a minute and ask and admit, caring for the church today is hard sometimes. Caring for the church today isn't popular all the time, right? Do you guys ever experience that? Like um, the church, this church that Paul said to care for, isn't a group of perfect people who never mess up. It's kind of the opposite of that. The church is a group of messed up people who just keep messing things up, right? It's people like us that gather together. The church can be a hard place to care for people. It can be a hard place to love. And so Paul said, care about that. That can be a difficult task. Like people outside the church look in and see, that's just a bunch of messed up people. And so we hear them say things like, I mean, I'm a spiritual person, but I don't really like organized religion. You ever heard somebody say something like that? Yeah. You know what they're saying? I don't like the church. And it's not just people outside, it's people inside that see that kind of stuff. Like just this last week, um, I heard that a pastor friend of mine uh, is no longer a pastor. He stepped out of the church where he was serving and now works at McAllister's Deli serving iced tea. And when I heard that, I was sad. I wasn't sad because he's working at McAllister's. They serve delicious iced tea, and whoever does that is doing God's work, okay? That's not what made me sad. What made me sad is how, why he, how he described the reason that he left. He said the church just doesn't make disciples the way it should, And so he gave up on it. It's hard to care for the church. And and I, I think here in Paul's final farewell, he's saying, don't give up on the church. Don't abandon it. Don't leave it. Don't think that you need to graduate beyond it or level up from it. Paul said, care for the church like a shepherd cares for his sheep. Love it and tend to it. And so the question before us today is why did the church matter so much to Paul? If it's just a group of messed up people who keep messing up, why commit to that or care for that? Why not instead just go it alone with Jesus? Or why not try to innovate some newer, better way to connect with him or follow him? Why care for the church? Well, I think Paul answers that questions with a couple reasons. Um, here they are. God bought the church, and God builds the church. Why do we care for the church? Because God cares for the church. He bought it, and he is building it. Don't take my word for it. Let me show it to you in the Bible. Let's look at Acts 20, 28 again. Paul said, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, and then catch this, which he obtained with his own blood. Care for the church of God, the one that he obtained with his own blood. That phrase could also be translated, uh, care for the church of God, which he purchased by the blood of his own. Care for that church. City like Jesus bought the church with his own blood. You know what that means? It means we the blood-bought church of Jesus Christ. Why does God care for the church? Because he obtained it, he purchased it, he acquired it at great cost. He bought it with his own blood. This is the major theme. This is the great story. It's the grand epic at the heart of the whole Bible message. This is This is the middle of it. It's what's lifted high. And so I want to tell it to you again this morning. In the very beginning, God created a man and a woman, and he looked out at what he created, and he said, it is very good. And he had a garden for them where they got to live, and God himself lived in that garden with them. He dwelled there with them. So they walked together and talked together. God dwelt with them the man and woman that he created. Incredible. But the man and the woman didn't allow it to stay that way for long. Because before long, the man and the woman turned on God. Or maybe more precisely, they turned from God. And the Bible calls that turning sin. And when sin entered the world, it separated God from the man and the woman that he created rather than getting to walk freely with their God that loved them and designed them and formed them and breathed into them the breath of life, they were captivated, they were imprisoned away from God by their sin. Sin separated people from God. And so we know, man, God, because they turned on God God had every right to turn on them or turn from them, right? And if you turn from the one who gave you life, if you're turning from life itself. And so the reasonable conclusion would be if you're turning away from the giver of life, you're asking for death. And so God had every right to turn from that man and woman and lay on them a death sentence, leave them to what they had embraced, the sin that separated them. From God. But God didn't do that. God didn't turn from his people. God turned to his people, and he made them a promise. He said, one day, I will crush the sin that imprisons you and destroy it. In the very beginning, God made a promise to his people. The sin that laid on them a death sentence, God would destroy. And see, like the good news that we see in God's word is that Jesus Christ, God's only son, fulfills that promise the bible says that jesus paid our ransom and he satisfied the debt of our sin he offered himself as our substitute so that our death sentence would be executed on him not on you or i so that means the cross where jesus hung should have been my cross and yours It means the blood that he shed as he hung there, the blood that he shed when the whip hit his back, when the thorns crowned his brow, when the nails pierced his hands and his feet, the blood that spilled out of his body should have been my blood and yours. That death sentence was supposed to be executed on the sinners like us, but it wasn't. It wasn't executed on us, and it wasn't our blood that spilled. It was executed on Jesus, and he shed his blood. And that means that on that cross, Jesus offered to people like you and me the greatest exchange we could ever hope for. He said something like, this is my words, a paraphrase, I will take on your death sentence and give you my life instead. Jesus said, give me your death and I will give you my life. I will shed my blood to take away all your sins. All the ways that you've messed up, all the baggage that you carry, all the ways that you've turned from God and rejected him, all the hurts that you've caused, all the secrets that load you with shame, all the destructive habits that you just can't break, the death sentence of sin that's been placed on you, my blood was poured out for all of it. I died for them so that you can live. I paid the penalty so that you can be free. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He took our place. The unbelievable truth at the center of God's story is that Jesus purchased the souls of all who would believe in him when he shed his blood on the cross. Captives to sin were set free. Those stained by sin, feeling dirty from all of its effects, were washed clean, can be washed clean by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus overcomes the power of sin that grips us. Jesus purchased us back from sin when he shed his blood on the cross. And so if you've never known Jesus like that, If you've never been part of the family of people who trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the one whose blood saved them from their sins. And man, we say around here it's as easy as ABC. This is what it looks like. First, you just admit that you're a sinner. Just reckon with the reality that you stand among the people who've turned from God and rejected Him. It's all of us. So step 1 is just admitting it confessing it reckoning it as the truth admit you're a sinner B believe in the savior This is just we be honest with Jesus and let and believe that what he says about himself is true He is the son of God whose blood saves us from our sin A you admit that you're a sinner, and B, you believe in the Savior, and then C, you just commit to follow him. You ask Jesus to help you live like the truth is true, and if you can admit you're a sinner and believe in the Savior and ask him to help you follow him, it will change your life now and for eternity. Jesus purchased sinners like you and me now and forever. That is the church of God. The blood-bought church of God is the family of people who put their faith in Jesus. So the church God cares about isn't built with bricks and mortar. It doesn't exist just at 2109 Railroad Highway at 8, 9, 30, and 11 right here. It doesn't exist in some other building with another steeple on it. It doesn't exist as an institution that has a 501c3 registered with the state. The church God cares about is the assembly, it's the congregation, it's the gathering or the group of men and women who have turned to Jesus and found him to be the Savior, the one who shed his blood for their sins. That means, City Light, if you've trusted in Jesus, you are part of the blood-bought church of God. It means if you haven't trusted in Jesus but you're here, you're part of a gathering of The blood-bought church of God, the very thing that God cared so much for that he came down to earth to live with us, die on a cross and shed his blood so that we could live with him now and forever. That's the blood-bought church of God. We get to be part of it today. Amen? Okay. Why do we care about the church? Because God cares about the church enough that he bought it with his own blood. Um, But we also know Jesus didn't stop caring about the church after his work on the cross was done. He kept going, he kept caring. Uh, let's look at Acts one more time. It's Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Paul wrote, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So Paul's talking to his friends, he commended them To God. He entrusted them to God. He did that because Paul was leaving and God was staying. It was kind of like me in Rwanda. I was leaving, but God was staying. Right? Paul knew that his work uh, with those people was coming to a close, but God's work with those people was continuing. So he entrusted them to God and the word of his grace. And he entrusted them to God and the word of his grace because. God, in the word of his grace, would build them up. God would continue to work among them. His work didn't stop when he shed his blood. It continued as he builds his church. And so I just want to share with you this morning a couple real-life, today ways that we've seen God building his church, okay? Some evidence that what God says in his word is still true today, okay? <clears throat> I've spent a lot of time in Southwest Iowa lately. We just planted a church down there eight weeks ago, okay? This week is week number eight, and I want to give you a couple stories from down there about how the church is just having an impact. It's being built up. Um, So story number one, the church has been open for eight weeks. They've already had four baptisms. That's incredible. Four baptisms, eight weeks. I'm pretty good at simple math like that. They're averaging one every other week. That's amazing, okay? People are giving their lives to Jesus. They're taking steps of obedience. So I wanna tell you about one of the guys who uh, got baptized there. His name's Andy Strange. Uh, I think we got a picture. Yep, there's Andy. Um, let me tell you Andy's story. It's pretty fun. He was not that long ago far from Jesus, okay? Not living for him or interested in him. And the lifestyle that he was leading landed him in jail. And so uh, it was while he was in jail that he first met Pastor Jason. Jason is uh, one of the pastors down at Southwest Iowa. He helps out um, Chuck and Doug and I. So Jason, he goes to jail once a week to do a Bible study with the people who were there. And so Andy jumped in to that Bible study. And he heard as Jason spoke about Jesus. Uh, To use the words of Acts, he heard about God and the word of his grace. And as he heard that, he was just intrigued. Something started working in him. And so he kept going to the study. He started reading the Bible on his own. He started praying. And as he studied, and as he prayed, and as he uh, read, something was working in him, and he started to believe that what he was hearing was true. And just about the time Andy got out of jail, this new church started in southwest Iowa called City Light. And since he'd already met Jason and Jason was working there, he decided, I'm going to take my kids and my wife and we're going to go to the church there. And so they started going to City Light. Now, he didn't know any of the songs that were being sung, not one. But you would never know it if you were sitting next to him because this guy was singing out like he had written every song himself. It was loud. He was excited. It was awesome. He was hanging on every word that was preached. He's like a preacher's favorite pew sitter, right? He's like leaning forward. Eric, speed it up. I want to hear the point. Get to the story, right? And so he's just hanging on every word, loving every minute of being part of the blood-bought family of God. And so two weeks ago, he walks up after the gathering was over. And he tells Jason and I, guys, I believe in Jesus. I want to get baptized. And so we were like, amen. That's amazing. When should we do it? He's like, next week, let's go. And so last week he got baptized. It actually happened. His kids got to watch him. A dad who had been thrown in jail just weeks before now getting baptized in the name of Jesus who shed his blood to save even a jailbird from his sins. Jesus is still building the church, not brick by brick, but person by person. It's happening today. Man, what God said in his word back then is still true now. Okay, that's story number one. I'm going to keep going if I don't move on, okay? One, God builds his church person by person. But I want to tell you, God doesn't just build his church by investing in people outside the church. He also builds the church um, by building up people who are already in it. Okay, that's actually, I think, more true to the language in Acts chapter 20. Paul was talking to his friends. They were leaders of the church, people who already believed in God, and he commended those believers, those Christians, to God and his word, which would build them up. So God builds up the church by adding people to it, but he also builds up the church by building up people within it. So I got one more story. Um, last week, Chuck was down in southwest Iowa doing a city group leader training. And a friend of mine named Steve showed up. Now, Steve is an awesome guy. Uh, he has been a part of that um, church body for a long, long time. Okay? He got married in that church. He served there for uh, more than 20 years before they closed down so that City Light could start up. Um, he's been in Sunday schools and Bible studies and small groups longer than I've been alive. Okay? I love testimonies of people like that. And so I love Steve. Well, he showed up to the city group leader training last week. And while he was there, um, something just changed. There's there something new and fresh. And he spoke up and he said this to the group. I want to read it so I don't botch it, okay? This is what he said. There is freedom here and we've never had that before. He's Sitting in this church that he got married in, he's done Bible study, there's freedom here and we've never had that before see light like, let me be clear that freedom is not a city light thing that freedom is a god and the word of his grace thing the good news today is that there's a new church in southwest iowa and we got to be a part of that that's good news But we don't just celebrate that, we celebrate that God still builds his church. And a man who's known and followed Jesus for decades, for longer than I've walked this earth, can still be built up by God in the word of his grace. He can still find new freedom in Jesus as he studies God's word and follows him. God does not stop caring for us when his work on the cross was over. He doesn't stop caring for us as soon as we enter these doors. God builds his church by adding people to it and by building up the people who are in it. That's good news, amen? And so, friends, this morning, if there's a big idea, a takeaway that I could give to you, it would be God cares for the church, he bought it, and he's building it. Okay? We know that. And I want to um, close today by talking about just two things that happen when you become part of the church body, right? Um, the first thing, one thing that happens, I guess it's not in a particular order, one thing that happens is you get to join into the worldwide church of God. This body of believers made up of many people you will never meet and places you will never go that spans time and history, culture and continents. It is a huge, massive worldwide phenomenon, the people who've given their lives to Jesus Christ. You get to join up into a worldwide church, something bigger than yourself. It's incredible. But just as incredible as that, something else happens. You get invited to be part of the local church, the local body of believers. The church isn't just a worldwide phenomenon. It exists right here, right in this room. The blood-bought church of God is the people sitting right here next to you. And so this morning, I just want to ask, would you care for the church like Paul asked his friends to care for the church? Would you care for the church like Jesus cares for the church? Love it, intend to it, and work for its Flourishing. I know I got to step carefully here, okay? Uh, because I know the church is uh, uh, messed up. People who just keep messing up, and so people look in and you wonder why would I commit to such a messed up group of people? Why would I commit to a place where people have hurt me before and I might get hurt again? I know there are people in this room who've been hurt by the church in the past, and so I want to be gentle as I make this ask. This morning I want to remind you, the church is not just a group of messed up people who keep messing up. It's also the precious blood-bought divine family of God. It is the bride that Jesus spilled his blood to obtain. God purchased it with the blood of his own. This is God's chosen way for us to engage With him, we're part of the blood-bought church of God. It's incredible. And so today, can I ask you, would you take a step toward the church to caring for? I don't know what that looks like. Maybe it looks like um, grabbing a cup of coffee with somebody that you've met and would like to just get to know more. Maybe it looks like jumping into a city group or a serving team so that you can meet more people who are part of the blood-bought church of God. I know later on, um, we're gonna commission members and uh, uh, maybe that's the way that you guys wanna engage. This is my church. I wanna own it. I wanna step toward membership. I don't know what it looks like for you to step toward the blood-bought church of God, but would you do it today? City Light, the church matters. We care for the church because God cares for the church. He bought it with his blood and he's building it still today. That's good news, amen? Amen, let's pray. Great and awesome God, man, I thank you for your blood-bought church. Just as I was um, pondering this this week, I just, I know anytime I shed my blood, it hurts. Anytime I shed my blood, there's a cost. And so you didn't just prick yourself and get a couple drips, but you were spilling your blood. It was poured out of you. You shed your blood to purchase us. And so God, I, just, I know myself, I'm prone to forget that, to forget the beauty of that, the weight of that, the intensity of that. Oh God, would you never let us be a church that moves beyond the reality that we are messed up people bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And would you make us a people who love that and celebrate you and depend on you God, I know there are people here today who've struggled with the local church, who've been hurt. Um, I'm one of those. God, I ask that you would grant them healing, that they would uh, see that it's not your desire that anybody would be hurt in your church, um, but you work toward redemption and reconciliation. When we turned on you, you could have turned on us, but you didn't. You set an example. You turned toward the ones uh, who turned against you. So God, would you grant us grace as a church um, that people who've been hurt before would be healed and restored and that we, we, would, we would be a place that, that just pursues that, embodies that, your heart, that um, you would get the glory in your church and not be a place of hurt and pain. And God, I know for people who've never known you, who've never been part of the church um, and, in a blood-bought, loving Jesus as my Savior kind of way, um, it just looks different. And so, God, I I know Andy, who got baptized in Southwest Iowa, is not the only one like him. You're writing other stories. You're working in other people to build in them a faith and a belief and a hope in you. So, God, if there are those people here today, man, would you just make those ABCs a reality for them? Uh, Steps that they can take even this morning, if that's you. Admit you're a sinner. I'm part of the messed up group of people who've turned from God. Believe in the Savior, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood to save us from our sins and commit to follow him. Ask Jesus to help you and do that today. And you can be part of the blood-bought church of God. Jesus, we thank you um, for dying, for shedding your blood to save us. We celebrate that this morning. Would you continue to build your church right here? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.